1: Gabby Gabby talks to Alan Hudson in My Life, My Music.
2: Well, in the last show, we talked about American Pie, Don McLean uh, track that reminded you of uh, of Chelsea when you won the, uh, the FA Cup. Roll it forward a few years. And uh, Don Ravey had a training session when he told you Tony Curry, Stan Bowles, Frank Worthington, and Charlie George—that they were no longer in his plans. For me, that is the day that football died. What's your memories of, uh, of that training session? Al?
1: well, in all in all fairness, I, I found it um, because I was I knew that I was never going to be a regular in his squad, and. Uh, and I was very close to Alan Board at that time. He was on his way out. I mean, when you think he's won the World Cup and Revy treated him so disrespectfully, if that's the right word, I think it is. Mm. Um, so I, I kind of took it like I do most things in life, uh, you know, uh, with great humour. Because um, I knew, I knew around the time that uh, he was looking after all of the boys, uh, you know, the fellas at Leeds, you know, the Trevor Cherries and uh, people like that. He, he he looked after the people where he lives, and he didn't like us in, in London. And I knew I knew that, you know, my head was just on the chopping block. It's just a matter of, you know, when he left me out of the squad. Um, and I knew it was going to happen to Frank. I knew it was... Uh, not so much Tony Curry because Tony Curry w- wasn't really, although he was a fantastic player, he wasn't really a, a rebel or a maverick or nothing like that. He was on the field, but not off it. Yes, uh, I, I knew. I knew what was. I kn- we knew what was coming. In all fairness, Paul, you know, we we knew what was at the end of the. You know, you usually say a rainbow. It wasn't a rainbow with uh, Dom Rebbe. It was it was bleak. You know. Yeah,
2: but. That that was for me the the day that it died and and then when Don Revie uh, has made and set his stall out, you 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 look at the uh, the nineteen seventy four World Cup finals that we didn't qualify, but that was through to uh, Alf Ramsey. He then got the sack because we didn't, and and really. Don Revie, in my opinion, had the greatest bunch of players to to work with. So that nineteen seventy eight World Cup should have been an absolute shoe and and it just went so so horribly wrong,
1: didn't it? Well, of course, you know it was. Um, I think it all I think it all started to go wrong. I I, I truly think that there's some things in life that were. Winning, winning can be not the best thing you ever do. It's not like the Germans and the Dutch and the, you know, the great teams around. You know, like say on club level, Barcelona, they win and they learn from it and they enjoy it. Us winning the World Cup was not a great, wasn't a great triumph. It it actually put us back. You know, uh, when you're winning the World Cups without Jimmy Greaves and much inferior players and the old country went mad like they did the other day and the cricket you know everyone goes mad because we've won three world cups in 50 odd years you know the old country goes mad we haven't got a lot you know we haven't got a lot to cheer about and uh, i i think that alf, alf winning the world cup was a bad bad moment because um he, he really thought that everything he did was was right at that time and um, I, I was one of those people that took the backlash of, of, of them winning the World Cup and uh, what they do is they try, they pick inferior players for so you and think they're going to win it again and they went in all fairness they played better in 70 in, in Mexico than what they did in 66 mm. uh, with magnificent performances by the goalkeeper, magnificent performance from Bobby Moore and mm. the likes of Alan Ball um I thought we were we were far better and and we were away from home in, in the extreme heat and what happened to Bobby Moore, you know, they, they locked him up and none of the FA went to see him and all that. It was all just you know but they he Al thought he could get away with all that because he because he won the World Cup it's like the Aladdin's cave in it, but you don't you don't let it go to your head and uh my three year band came after that and I don't know why. I don't. I can't say whether it's personal or not, but he shouldn't be doing that. You know. It's, you know. It was um, <laughs> really. I, I never had a. I never went in front of a, um, a committee. I never had any say in it. I spoke to him on the phone, and he said, "If you don't turn up, at the at the." airport london airport tomorrow you will take the consequences and i mean that was no way to treat a young player um and i think that was part of him saying look do you know that i've just won the world cup and you're just a 20 year old and i think i find that i wasn't stupid enough to to think who the hell you think you're talking to you know because um they won the world cup and i don't think apart from Mallon ball that you know, Bobby Charlton was, I wouldn't say he was coming to the end, but I played against Bobby about two years later and I played against him at the end of his career. But people like me and Tony Curry were coming through and we should have been the future. And he didn't see that. He didn't see that. He just, I, th- I think it was, in, in, in a nutshell, Paul, I think it went to his head and he thought he could get away with anything, you know.
2: And then when uh, when Alf left, it was like literally was like sending in the clowns, wasn't it? And that's a that's a record from Frank Sinatra that um, that, that you really love, me. Frank is your favourite artist. What's the, what's the story behind that record, sending the clowns? Because that's what it appeared like to uh, to us fans. Well,
1: yeah, I, I think it was when it? it was sending the clowns. I think I think not just my opinion, but everyone everybody you speak to well I mean I spend a lot of time going about in, uh, not working but I, going to local I go wherever I go people pull me up and ask me what went wrong and it was they can't even name the players that got in front of us you know they were so it was really a case of sending the clowns
3: the ground. Clowns, just when I'd stopped opening doors, finally knowing the one that I wanted was yours, making my entrance again with my usual flair. of my lines No one is there Don't you love a farce My fault I fear I thought that you'd want what I want Sorry, my dear But where are the clowns? Send in the clowns Don't bother, they're here Isn't it rich, isn't it queer, losing my timing this late in my career?
1: very careful because you can't uh, pull names out of the hat and say who they were but they, they were just not worthy really of getting a, the amount of caps they got and it all fell to pieces and you know it reflected on the management of Alf Ramsey um, number one we wouldn't have won the World Cup in 1966 if it wasn't at Wembley there's no doubt about that uh, it's the only world cup we've ever won. Um, and number two, uh, had we not won it in 1966, we would never have won a world cup at all. Mm-hmm. And, he, and, he, and he picked a team that was, as uh, I to say, that I could pick upon Bobby Moore, Bobby Charlton Alan Ball, and the goalkeeper. I could pick a, a team in England at that time that would have beat them.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, we were, was, and if you look. Argentina won it when when um, Maradona won it on his own. They were a poor, poor Argentinian team. There was a couple of poor teams won it, but I think we were one of the poorest teams that ever won the World Cup.
2: Now at a get together at uh, Wembley, uh, Wembley, an England training session, you you had a visit from uh, from John Denver the, uh, the the once, didn't you? And he was he was dressed up in American was it American football gear for a bit of a, a promo stunt.
1: Yeah, he was doing the. He had a show on in the. In the obviously, he's a John Denver show in America, and I don't know. I think I. I don't know if it's anything to do with Richard Attenborough or something like that because he was a director of our club at that time. But for some reason, we went into training ground one day, and uh, he turned up with a, a crew, and we would. I mean, we didn't really take too much notice of it because we just thought. We were just happy, go lucky bunch, you know. But I—I I was a great John Denver fan, and uh, and he turned up and he got into his American football gear. He, they never asked us to get into it, but we watched it. And he was—he was happy doing what he was doing. And um, I—it I, wasn't until I really see him on a, in a show with Frank Sinatra that I realised how big he was. Um, but. It was it was absolutely super, superb ice. and and again it was another tragedy, wasn't it?
4: You fill up my senses like a night in a forest, like the mountains in springtime. Like a walk in the rain Like a storm in the desert Like a sleepy blue ocean You fill up my senses Come fill me again
2: Love again. And was that at Chelsea then, Al, or was that with an England training session?
1: No, that was a, that was a Chelsea training ground. We you. Used, we used to train at Mitcham. Yeah. And uh, we come in, and in all fairness, our Midland training ground—it wasn't not many people would have passed a breathalyzer in them days. Um, not many of our team, anyway. And uh, so everything was a bit of a you know who's this, and most of the lads didn't even know he was, and all that. But he—he he was terrific. He was—he I met him. I can't remember we didn't have a conversation or nothing like that and we just see what he was doing and I mean in them days in 19 just after the 1970 we won the cup and all that and and he came down and um, if I was to ask 99% of our squad at that time they would have known what uh, the NFL was you know and it wasn't until I signed in Seattle that I realised how big their game was but he come out padded up with all the American gear on, and they 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 done the show from our mission training ground. But um, as I say, if I'd have been a little bit older, I'd have loved to have if he'd have hung around to sit down with him and, and tell a different story to you. Because of course, Annie's song
2: is um, probably his, his most famous, and uh, famously Sheffield United sing the uh, the Chip Butty song to it, don't they?
1: well it's just uh, it's just a wonderful 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 song isn't it yeah. you know it's um uh, for anyone that i got um one of my best friends in soak is married to a nanny you know but it's uh it's a great anyone and i married my second wife was Anne, yeah. you know but I, I never played it to her because um she weren't really worthy of it in all fairness yeah. but, <laughs> but um no it's, it's a great song and uh he just had a marvellous voice as well, didn't he? Yeah. He, he sang to great. As I say, when I see him get up with Sinatra, if Sonata allows you to sing with him on stage, then you must be decent.
2: But again, in them days, you, you did have John Denver. Barry Manilow was very prevalent on our TV screens as well. Uh, you got the uh, Morecambe and Wise show. And, and football players used to have cameo appearances in, in, in their shows because... As always, pop stars and and entertainers all wanted to be footballers, and our footballers were the entertainers in the seventies, wasn't they?
1: Well, yeah, I mean they all it was all kind of linked up in one way. You know, it was all. Uh, I think we we might have said on the show before that two meetings. I, I've just walked into a couple of shows. One was with Phil Collins, and and the other one with Jack Jones, and. I just see, and both times I walked in, they were both standing with Bobby Moore, and I thought, we have so much in common, you know? They wanted to... um... Phil Collins just looked at Bobby as if, you know, he was in awe of Bobby, you know, and Jack Jones was just astonished that... He was standing there with, because the American, the Americans think, well, "Wow, you know, you won the World Cup in 1966." Mm-hmm. But they, he didn't really know how good Bobby was, you know. But uh, to stand there with Bobby, Bobby Moore and Jack Jones, and I could watch Bobby Moore on the screen, and then I could put Jack Jones on, and you know the wonderful talents. Yeah, but and you're right, they, we all lived under the same kind of umbrella, you know and and a song that
2: um reminds you of your first wife Maureen and by the way a couple of what was it th- last Thursday it would have been your wedding anniversary wouldn't it thank you paul yeah I, I, we we actually spoke the I think it was the day before or the day after I I didn't really realise it at the time but there was a post of, of your your wedding up on one of the um, football sites sixties and seventies football groups and I did uh, I did send it you yeah, because Stuart said I hope Alan's okay with that because it, it is a bit of a personal picture and I said well I, I will send it to Alan and make him aware of it and I'm I'm sure he will be because we do talk about those those times on our show uh, my life. My music and the one song that does remind you of the first meeting with Maureen is uh, Frankie Valli song. My eyes adored you.
1: Yeah, another. I mean, it's another classic, isn't it? was it, yeah. it was. Um, I remember leaving Stoke and i uh, in Chelsea for Stoke, and uh, funny enough, and I didn't leave Maureen behind, but she she didn't fancy Stoke too much. Um, and I remember that was a song at the time. Uh, it was it was it was a little bit before, but I remember playing that. Going in, and that was playing a lot, and and the most beautiful girl in the world was. Uh, so the the music then was quite fantastic. But Frank, Frankie Valli's uh, version of um, of that song was just astonishing. I you know, I always think you know if you, who, who would you want to be if you if some people say who do you want to be if you're a footballer and uh, people have gone and seen the Jersey Boys and all that, and I've seen the film. Frankie Valley was actually something else, and it was the most beautiful song. And it was, I mean, you know me by now. I, I, I just love a great love song, and that is a fantastic love song.
5: you, no my eyes Georgia. Like a million miles away from me, you couldn't see how I adored you. So close, so close, and yet so far. Carried your books from school, playing make believe you're married to me. You were fifth grade, I was sixth. When we came to thee Walking home every So far Headed for city lights Climbed the ladder Up to fortune and fame I worked my fingers To the bone Made myself a name Funny I seem to find That no matter how The years unwind Still I reminisce About the girl I miss And the love I
2: There is a massive romantic side to you that 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 possibly people don't realise and understand,
1: do they, Alan? Well, they don't. No, they 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 think you. I think um, probably being a rebel and yeah. the romantic side they might go hand in they might go hand in hand or might go hand in club because um, that's the way we are. Um, I mean, Sinatra. Was his songs are so romantic and all that, but he was involved with the mafia. So you think, how can a man like that be involved with the mafia? It's, it's um, yeah. I think I, I think it does. There's something that goes hand in glove with that, you know, that you do. You, I think it, you know, with that kind of a love affair situation, does turn you into a bit of a rebel or whatever. You know, because I I do, I am very partial to, I mean, I I wake every morning when I'm writing and whatever I do, for an hour in the morning I put the most lovely songs on, you know, uh, where people are watching what's going on with Brexit. I, I would rather have Jack Jones or, you know, Frank Sinatra on.
2: Which is probably a better thing to have on, uh, listening to that than listening to the rubbish that goes on about Brexit well, and our politicians.
1: Yeah. Well, absolutely. You know, I'm not one... I, I, that's why I've never really done well in life because I can't stand people that tell you know, lies or whatever you know, uh, and politicians they're all liars. They know that. They know you've got to be a liar. And they even admit it. Uh, so we have no time for them. They're not... I mean, when you think um our conversations since we've been doing this show we've we've always talked about entertainers yeah. and um whether it, our time in the sixties or seventies the greatest entertainers on the football field or whether singers they compared today they they are only peanuts yeah, and now we've got all of a sudden we got these people in parliament they walk away they um I don't know what they, I'm not not too sure what they're trying to do to the country, but I believe that entertainers should be paid more than anybody. Bringing a bit of joy into somebody's life, whether it's on the football field or on the stage, uh, or whether it's Malcolm and Wise, Eric Malcolm, Tommy Cooper, whoever. Uh, Bringing a bit of sunshine, uh, yeah, yeah. That that that'll do for me every day of the week. That keeps me going. Actually, the the fun side of life, and uh, to put on a great song. I don't think there's anything better. And also
2: should have the image rights to your photographs and to your YouTube uh, bits and pieces that, that we see. Um, because when you're a, you're a player, you've had your time, but, but people are still looking and researching and, and seeing what you guys used to do. And I think it's criminal that in, in an age where football players are earning absolute fortunes these days, you, you guys didn't, but you know you could earn a few quid from images, but you actually can't use them images unless you buy those that that were taken by a third party with uh, without your
1: uh, your your, uh, your say so. Yeah, yeah. No, you bang on. Uh, I remember ten years ago something like that. I had uh, my, my great friend in Stoke, uh, fella called Bob Williams, very very talented, very talented. He comes from your neck of the woods, actually. Um, he was terrific fellow and uh, and multi talented, and I used to go around his house to my right, and he used to do his painting. and He he turned the, me and George Bess in black and white into the front cover of a book, in you know, with the planet football, yeah. and uh, it was uh, on a different planet kind of thing. And uh, we had to go to. Whoever owned the rights, I'm not. I'm not sure the biggest the biggest firm now, and they um and we asked them if we could use it, and they charged us. They charged me eight hundred pounds yeah. to get a picture of myself with George Best, which was given to me in 1971 or 72 when George was on the field with me and Osgood and uh, a, a great photographer, Fleet Street pho- photographer called um, Monty Fresco. Uh, was the main man in Fleet Street. Uh, he, he personally gave me the picture, and I was the only one that had it out of the newspaper. I was the only one that had a hard copy of it, although the Daily Mirror had it, and then the Daily Mirror passed it on, and then they bought all the rights to it. Mm. And I ended up having to pay £800 pound to get a picture of myself. Now, I find that a little bit, you know... Can you imagine in New York, and they they phoned Sinatra up and said... Uh, you gotta to pay to get a picture yourself and on the you know, on stage at the Royal Festival or the Royal Albert or whatever. It's just ludicrous, isn't it? You know? Yeah,
2: it is. I think it's absolutely it's, incredible. But there's basically Yeah it is. But there is gonna be uh, an official Alan Hudson calendar coming out Christmas which 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 will be fantastic. There's also as well, Al, while we're talking about up to date stuff, um your book, your latest book that's coming out, that's uh, written by John Hellier. That's out on the eighteenth of August as well, isn't it?
1: Yes, I believe so. I'm uh, thank, you, and uh, I think you, you're a little bit to do with this. You, you introduced me to these people, uh, Lewis Griffiths and um, and John. John is a, a great football. Uh, although he's he's very much into music. Um, I didn't know when we first met. Um, that he was a big football fan, and he's because he's a very quiet man. Yeah. And uh Lewis was, and I were enjoying ourselves, and I, I mentioned one or two things to John, and he he said, "Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, you know, I watch you play, and blah blah blah." And we went on and on and on, and, on. and he started talking about music. So I said to him, "Oh yeah," and I said, "Well, well who are you involved with?" And he went, "Well, he said I read I I wrote uh, the Ronnie Lane book." And uh, I said, oh, yeah, I said I went to see the Ronnie Lane show at the Albert Hall uh, when Stevie Marriott was on there because I'm big fans of Stevie Marriott. And uh, I took my cousin who sadly died. He he wanted to go. So I took him and he gave me the book of Ronnie Lane and he also gave me the DVD of him uh, producing the show on telly comparing it and everything, it was great. So we have now got on like a house on fire. He being, uh, we both love two things. We love football and we love music. So we have, a, we have I, always be, I always believe that them two things go, go together very well, music and and uh, football. And of course... Well, well, the work in Man's Ballet proves that.
2: Exactly. And of course, Captain Rum is the publisher, our mate Lewis Griffiths.
1: Well, yeah, the, yes, um, he's quite something, yeah. Lewis. He's, um, he's got his finger in many pies and he's, he's good at what he does. He's brilliant, he's great company, he's a great man and very positive. I like him and I've never regretted a day that I met him and John. They're just two lovely people. And talking about great partnerships because they
2: are uh, John Elliott and Lewis Griffiths, great partners, great people. Uh, Kiki D and Elton John. It's Elton John's first number one. And again, you know, you're a massive uh, fan of Alton. You told us the, uh, the the tale of when um, your song come out and, and uh, you was telling us when you turned on the telly in a in a, a Merseyside hotel after a, a game against Everton. But uh, he hadn't had a number one until with Kiki D. And- he's got a film out now, Rocket Man. Have you been to see that yet, Al?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I haven't seen it. I, I wouldn't go and see it. To, I wouldn't go and see it because I don't think... Uh, it's like the Freddie Mercury thing. I couldn't go and watch it. It was uh, It's something that I don't think anyone could live up to. Yeah. I've seen the George Best film and I was absolutely... I was choked that they didn't do that properly for someone, George Best or... Whatever, I mean, they the fellow looked nothing like George. He, you know, George Best was one of the not only one of the greatest players in the world, he was one of the best looking men in the world. He he went out with Miss Welds. So he had no problem in that kind of part of his life. And then they do a film with him, and it was nothing like him. Mm. Uh, I don't know how they get away with making these movies, I really don't. So, I, I suppose what I'm trying to say for I don't want to go and watch an Elton John film or a Freddie Mercury film and, and come away disappointed. It might be better, It might be okay for the younger generation to watch that because they appreciate the music. But uh, the only musical I've seen, and I think we spoke about this on your show is uh, what's the ABBA film. And I, I just love their music and there's only someone like um, her could come out on top of only do it. You know, mm-hmm. she's, and she's uh, she's made so many films, series, actress, and you know she's a fantastic uh, front for the film, and, and I've, I thought it just brought the best out of Ab- Abba, you know. But I don't think I don't think I could watch them two films. I must admit I've been to see them both and I thoroughly
2: enjoyed them Both very different um, The Freddie Mercury film was pretty much about the song Bohemian Rhapsody Which is yeah. a favourite song of yours isn't it?
6: Is this the real life
7: Is this just fantasy Caught in a landslide
6: No escape from reality Mamma mia, let me go fia
2: Queen used to have a, an office or there's some connection to the Colham pub in London
1: no I, I believe I didn't go in there it was, I used to go to it just around the corner from Ells Court where my family used to work at Ells Court. we went to loads of shows at Ells Court uh, with all the you know I see Elton. and I went into the dressing room with Elton at Ells Court and uh, you know the Rod Stewart so we see, see some fantastic shows there but just on the corner it's literally hundred yards from the from the front door of Els Court where there's a coarn pub and that's where Freddie Mercury uh used to be quite f- become infamous yeah. is probably the word. Uh and I I you know, it is the most do how they come out with that song is just another one is another. it's another Beatles you know, a day in the life yeah. or They come up, they sit down and do them songs, but it's all right writing a song. I mean, to write it in a different way where people look at it and they go, that wouldn't mean it, that would be nonsense unless someone like Freddie Mercury could do it. I mean, he was just some unbelievable talent, wasn't he? He was just, you know, it's just mind-boggling, the fella, you know uh but you had to be really wayward to get away with that, and the, you know you look at his life, we don't like to mention what he was uh it, you know um but I bet he was a wonderful bloke as Elton was and uh you know if you thought that you could, any person in this lifetime could actually get and perform and do that song that would be enough that would be, that would be enough for the rest of your life. Watching both of
2: the films, and and I think you're right, when when you're in that environment, there was a lot of things taken and not just alcohol. Um, It it seemed an absolutely manic existence at times. And and to think that some of the states that that these rock stars, particularly Elton John and, and, and Freddie Mercury, to write songs or make music and go on and perform... For for most of the time that they were there, they must have been off the trolleys. It, it, it's phenomenal, really, what they actually did.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, you know, I, I really think you've got to be a little yeah. bit off, off the ball to be able to do that, you know. Yeah. I, I read, uh, I see a show one night with Elton John and he talked about John Lennon and uh, he said he was sitting in the corner of a room one day in... in los angeles and uh he said i was off my nut i was going down here i had this show coming up he said but I, I was absolutely off my nut he he said and uh all of a sudden he, john Lennon walked in and you know he he said they weren't far behind me uh and i said look he said i'm doing a show it's uh uh the big stadium there there's a famous stadium and it, yankee stadium is it um mm-hmm. And he and he said, um, would you mind coming on uh on onto, onto the stage with me? So John I knew I went, Oh, I don't know he said, I don't know if I can do that and uh and I, I don't know what it was. It might have been I I I don't know whether it was, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And uh he said, um, I was on stage, there was about hundred and twenty thousand people in the stadium and he started singing Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and uh all of a sudden, John Lennon and Yoko and somebody else walked on stage on the side without Elton John knowing. He said, and the stadium erupted, and Elton John thought to himself, well, I must have done something really special. I must have had a note that I couldn't. He said, and no, i turn around, and John Lennon walked on stage. He said, and for 10, 15 minutes, it, the place was in uproar. Yeah. He was like, God. He said, and this was when we met in a in a room when we were both off a nut. So there's a lot to be said. You know, uh, I'm not I'm not into drugs. I've never been into mm-hmm. drugs, but uh, what comes out of drugs is unbelievable. You know, it's um, I, I, as I say, I, I've I i do not relate to it, but I do know that you can only there must be something in it that comes up with something so out of this world, you know, I it's, think, uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I, I, I think I am
2: the walrus come out of uh, hallucin- hallucinogenic kind of substances as well, because you, you listen to some of the, the, the Beatles, because again, you're a big fan of the Beatles, and, and certainly when they went to see the old Delhi Lama, um, they, they did come back a little bit different than when they arrived in uh, that part of the world,
1: didn't they? Well, yeah, I mean, at the, the end of the day, I mean, Lennon, um, I, funny enough, I I left a couple of hours ago, a scarcer so had come over to see me, and uh, he just walked over to me and asked if I was who I was, and he started talking, and, I'm a, and he started trying to sell Liverpool to me, I said, you don't have to do that, mate, um, I'm a great lover of Bill Shankly, Liverpool Football Club, and John Lennon, so don't even go there, you know, um, don't start selling Liverpool to me. Uh but John Lennon, Christ or my the problem with John Lennon was, um, in the end, like you can imagine, is he you know, he took on the President of the United States and uh he took on all the people that were causing wars, you know, that's why he wrote that the songs, you know, and all that and uh I wouldn't say God forbid, but it, it rebounded on him. Yeah. And uh, we all know that uh, in my eyes, Nixon, you know, had him done. He tried to deport him for trying to, you know, trying to stop the wars. And but Lennon, you know, and and the fella killed him, shot him, and he's never been seen. And uh, but that was John Lennon, you know, you know, the love with Yoko. Who's going to stay in bed for two or three days with the missus and let the press in and all that? You know, I don't know. So you've got to be off the wall. Yeah. Basically, I mean, yeah, you know, you lose, you, you, he lost all touch of reality, you know. Uh, but that is genius. Yeah, That's is. a genius. Uh, that is a genius of it, uh, and it is very, very sad because, uh, you know, um, I don't know for a fact, but all, all roads lead to that Nixon had him shot because he was trying. He just wanted the world to be a the right place you know and that was you know imagine and what everything else that's what he That that that's what John Lennon was all about. Mm.
2: And imagine again a favourite of yours, and if you send it back into a football sense, imagine what could have happened if we didn't have that training session with Don Revy and he didn't disregard you, Maverick players. Imagine what England could have been had that situation not have not have happened.
1: Well, imagine it's a, it's a that imagine can relate to so many yep. things. So I, I always, you know, I've been. Uh, Having loved my writing, I always imagined that, you know, had, you know, England have had Brian Clough or Tony Waddington or Bill Nicholson or, you know, or, or the Scottish Bill Shangley. If you can imagine. My life changed when, you know, uh, England changed from Alf Ramsey to Don Revy. Yeah. So you, if you can imagine. You know, a uh, top, top, someone like Tony Waddett and, and getting the job. It, you know, it, it's fantastic. But that's the way it was. And that, that was what that song was all about. It, it's not about imagining it. It's all about if only, really. Yeah. If that- only we had a world like that. But it's not going to be that way. And uh, I had someone ask me again today, you got two cats here? Yeah? I said, yeah, well. Uh, they mean absolutely nothing to me, because um, number one, who give them to me, and number two, he gave he gives the two caps to me for the the wrong reasons.
2: Now, in the German game. Um what was the preparation, what was the, what was the last thing that Don Revy said to you to G you up to take on the world champions? Because I'm guessing you and Borley didn't need any Ging up because you're the two greatest central midfield players in, in the country. And uh, arguably your debut for England was the greatest debut that uh, any Englishman has seen uh, with uh, a player wearing the three-line shirt. But what did Don Revy say to you? Then final words, them, that inspirational team talk as you was going on to that Wembley turf.
1: Well, I remember. I remember that the night before when he when it came out that I never forget because me and Malcolm McDonald, he was playing for Arsenal, I was playing for Stoke, and he picked Malcolm, he picked me, and we were surrounded by uh, you know the Fleet Street gang, and they. I remember I'd done an interview and said, at last, I'm going to have the opportunity to show that I can play at this level and uh, i knew what it was all about i knew that he picked me for all the wrong reasons uh, and then when we got ready i was i played on the saturday for stoke and i played really well again i was really in great form and uh as we, as we were ready to walk out the door I, all i was thinking about was i'm i'm gonna prove tonight that i, that I can play at this level i didn't I couldn't wait to get against Franz Beckenbauer, a great hero of mine and I'm gonna I'm gonna prove my dad's words, you know, that one day you'll play at Wembley but it won't be in an amateur cup final. And uh as as the buzzer went and we got to the door, uh Don Revy said, By the way, don't forget what they the Germans did to us in the war and uh, and I looked at Alan Bourne, he looked at me and uh you know, that was 1975. So you don't really need to tell Alan Ball that nine years after he's already won the World Cup against Germans. It was just so pathetic. Uh, why mention the war? Uh, it's a game of football. Uh and I, I can remember walking into the tunnel after his words and we closed the door and I, I me and Baldy were just smiling at each other and, and Beckham and Bower walked out and I looked at him and I, I thought for a split second I'd love to be on playing with you tonight in them green shirt because what a terrible way to speak to your players on the way out, you know. Fancy mentioning the war, you know, is it, something that we don't... I don't know nothing about the war. I was too young, Um he might have bad me- bad memories about it, but don't bring it into the england dressing room
2: and and when when you think that it's the England dressing room not a not a, a Sunday League or a you know a, a group of, of of people that are going to play a I don't know a, a, a game in, in in Germany a load of lads that are on a stag do you know you, you you're talking about this is this is England football team going to play the world champions it's absolutely laughable really isn't it it's, laughable. Well, it it's is embarrassing
1: but well, at the end of the day yeah. it's something that can cause a riot yeah uh, as you say if it was a Sunday morning and you and a pub team had been out all night and they said look they you know they killed your one of your family in the war, mm. you know, that it could cause a riot. So mm. it, shouldn't be allowed, it shouldn't be allowed. People like him should not be allowed, mm. shouldn't be allowed to uh, be in charge of the England team. Um, because you don't do that. You don't do that. We every, everybody, you know, I, I, I don't know. We never, we never spoke about the war in my prefab. We mm. never, my dad never spoke about the war to me. It wasn't a thing you spoke about. But yeah. then you, you get to a, a game at Wembley in your England debut and he's talking about what happened in the war. I mean, that can't be right. I, not for me. Um, I, couldn't, I can't even imagine sitting down with my granddaughter. She's nine years of age and mm. saying, you know what? Don't speak to Germans, you know, because they're nasty people. They killed all our family in the war. I mean, God almighty, what a, what a way to bring people up. Um, But they, as you say They were his last words As we walked out of the dressing room Now a a
2: big star Um Almost as big as you in them days, because uh, he, he was probably in luck in as much as what you was with David Essex. And uh, again, another favourite of yours. I'm going to make you a star. And and Tony Waddington did, although you was a star when you joined Tony. You went up from London to come up and see see uh, Tony Waddington and he did make you the star. It was Tony that got you that England debut and uh, it was those two full seasons at Stoke City with Wad the God that made you the greatest midfield player in this country. And you did look a little bit like David Essex as well, Al. Well, I
1: I don't really know. We were a little bit different. All I do know is uh, he... He... Did have that bit of, If he'd have been a popular he could have played in our team because he had class in the, you yeah. know, he used, he used class. I mean, I see him on the TV not so long ago and on a breakfast show. I mean, obviously, he's aged and everything else, but you can't take away what he was. He, he wasn't, he never went into uh, the music industry like most of these pop stars he's done it in a totally different way but there's no taking away he had the looks he had the style uh, he didn't have to make too many hit records but he, yeah he David Essex so you know he could be one of them you could sit down and have dinner with him just be enchanted by him really I think is a word he, he was a terrific terrific artist and yeah yeah he and, he and he he walked the walk and he if he'd have walked into Stanford Bridge and coming to our address room, I think he would have he'd have fellow
7: to this grave.
2: He also have a little bit of gypsy blood in him as well from from memory of of those hal days did, yes. i think
1: he did yeah he yeah. was a bit of a, he was a bit of a gypo, uh, mr Essex he, he i think he had the in then days he had the earring that w- we wondered what was going on um yeah he, he was a bit of a gypsy and he come from that kind of background uh what a what a fabulous, absolute fabulous talent, you know, um, and and the songs you're talking about were fantastic.
2: And we've just had a message here from uh, from Terry Curran, another great player of the day. It was a disgrace when Alan performed uh, as he did uh, against Germany and just had two caps and. Charlie George, another Maverick player, one that Terry Curran played with at Derby, was only given 60 minutes and Don Revy played Charlie George to fail as well. He said to Charlie, I'm going to play, play you because the press are on me back. So we'll play you. We'll get it out of the way and you'll never play for me again. Now, Charlie George... You had a, a, a lot in common with Charlie, and your paths um, collided, I guess, when Arsenal played Chelsea. But how great a player was Charlie George? I remember him scoring the winning goal for Arsenal in the seventy-one Cup final when they won the double. But he he was every inch a great player, wasn't he, Charlie? Well,
1: strange, strange thing is, um, he was he was. A, kind of kid that was the opposite of me yeah. he was um, he had he knew he was going to be a player when he was 13 14 uh, because I played against him he played for Islington schoolboys I played for West London and I played against him at Highbury one night and he looked the finished article when he was 13 14 years of age he was he was a big boy very strong and I can remember him hitting the in smashing the crossbar from about 30 yards and I couldn't kick it twenty yards, and I thought, well, "Who the hell's this?" Uh, so I, it was great when I the next time I uh, went on the field against him at Highbury was nineteen seventy, and we—that's the year we won the cup—and we beat him three 0 And it was when you think that's like seven years on, and seven years can was an unbelievable amount of time anything could have happened in there seven years i got injured three or four times we could have finished my career even at that stage but there i was playing against him in 97 even but walking out of hybrid and he's on the other side of the the white line and uh i remembered all you know playing there and (sighs) it was unbelievable night that, that walked in and they had i was reading Peter Crouch's book the other day so it the first time we walked in a highbury and they had underfloor heating and all that and it was it was like the the royal palladium of football in them days, Highbury, you know, it was the greatest stadium. No doubt, you know, they they called Manchester United the Theatre of their Dreams, but Arsenal was was a was stadium. It's just that they didn't have the the space to build a bigger stadium. But uh, going back to Charlie, um I've never never been on the same side of Charlie but I really would have loved to play with him because he was as good as it gets you know Um, I remember when he went to Derby uh, and there was only three players in London that went up north, north of Watford and had an incredible impact, one I went to Stoke, Tony Curry went from Watford to Sheffield United and Charlie went from Arsenal to Derby County because Dave McCarver's was there and uh, he made such an impact in the European Cup when they got there and he was a phenomenal player um, but again you know he'd never seen in a World Cup, never seen in a European Championship and and you know what he does, It uh, unlike me Charlie went the other way a little bit and you know, took a different route because people get disappointed in 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 different ways, and uh, when you think players of like Charlie and Vanwyk on that front, and you know, the likes of me and Curry with the influence of Alan Ball if, if we'd had a real manager at that time and, and had a squad of them players, you know, that's why they made the show the Mavericks, I mean England to think that we never qualified in 74, the, the FA doesn't don't even see that there's something wrong mm. and and that's crazy And he also lost a finger,
2: didn't he in a lawnmower accident, Charlie George He did, yeah yeah, he
1: was he's good with, Charlie was good with his feet he wouldn't wouldn't have been much of a goalkeeper if I'd have been his his manager and he was a a goalkeeper i said, what are you doing but no I I remember him doing that but that was Charlie that was Charlie doing something stupid who knows what he'd been doing that day
2: because though when when I said the, that battle that your careers collided, you know them early seventy days, you and Arsenal were were pretty much the kings of London, and and you clashed a lot of times, didn't you?
1: Yeah, we would we were in in the early seventies. We were we were by far the best. To, as Tottenham had gone downhill because. Bill Nickerson had left, and uh, the double team had come to an end. Dave McKay had gone, and Jimmy Greaves had gone. That team had all got, like the Manchester United team of um, 1970, they all got too old. Uh, And we were the two two teams on the block, really. When you think uh, that West Ham had three World Cup winners in their team and never won the league, you know, and, and you know they they got to a couple of cup finals, but they've never done. You know they, you know the West Ham supporters used to say that we won the World Cup, and I said, well, you can't kind of won the World Cup because you never won the, the football league. You know, so you know don't get excited about this. But it, in them days, it was it was us and it was us and Arsenal, and Arsenal had a. I mean, when they won the the uh, the double under, uh, Bertie me. Under Don Howe, Bertie Don Howe. I mean, but it was Don Howe. I mean, the genius of Bertie made the genius management, but the fantastic coaching of of Don Howe was astonishing. They they just had a fantastic team, Uh, and I think probably they were they were better than us. uh, I have to say that we had a really really we we could have we could have went on to be a great team at Chelsea, but the manager had different ideas.
2: And and again, that's the essence of it. It's getting the right manager to 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 identify the players, pick the players, and get the maximum out of the players. Tony Waddington done that with you, but re- rarely other managers did, and certainly in particular uh, Terry Neill when you went up to Arsenal. You you had a lot of runnings with Terry and, and 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 pretty much that that saw the end of your career in England and and seeing you bugger off over to Seattle and and us kids. I mean, I was thirteen, fourteen at the time of the nineteen seventy eight uh, FA Cup final. I really didn't see you again. You left
1: us. Well, yeah, you you know it's something out of your. Yeah. It's merely... when when you pick up the paper today and you see what players are earning and, you know, you got to remember, Paul, there was yeah. no agents then and no one to, I mean, we were all right. Basically, we were all right. We were f- at home. I, I say, that, and I've said in one of my books, uh, uh, the, the most comfortable I've ever been is a, with a ball in my feet in the mm. middle of a football stadium with 50,000, people. I mean, I've never been more comfortable. Mm. But off the field, you know, we, we had a problem yeah. because we were dealing with people that were trying to change us when we didn't need changing, you know. Yeah. We, we we I mean, if we'd have been Dutch or German or Spanish, uh, I think we'd, we'd have had a far superior life, you know. And you did, although you
2: only got the two England caps, you did have a conversation again. It, it was it was almost like Carry On England in the seventies. You could have written, you could have wrote a comedy script around the management, and and it literally, I mean, it was like sending in the clowns. Because when, when Ron Greenwood had the uh, the job, he phoned you up while you was in the pub one night. One of the players had pulled out and wanted to see if you you were all right to play against Brazil in a couple of days' time, didn't he? Well,
1: that's right. I mean, I I mean, I wasn't. I was having a bad time at Arsenal, and um, I can remember, I, I, you know, I I wouldn't say I wasn't good enough to get in the Arsenal team, I was just about good enough, but um, I wasn't nowhere near the form that I was at Stoke, and I, I felt, I, I just weren't fit, you know, and all of a sudden I was in, in the pub on a Sunday night, and I'd played for Arsenal on the and I, I know uh, we played at Liverpool I never forget we played at Liverpool in the League Cup semi-final it was the same year as we, we reached uh, it must have been 78 and we got knocked out by Liverpool we should have actually knocked them out we we were the better side and Ron um, Greenwood was on the bus with us coming home and I, I, I wonder what he was doing there and then um uh, a few i don't know i couldn't tell you how long later but I, I was in the pub on a sunday night in my local pub there's a lovely pub in the where marino's got a house now they've got all the flash houses around there and uh and the phone rang and i was called over and it was him on the phone and he said alan i thought someone was trying to take the mickey out of me and i i, I had a guy at him you and know, i said excuse me mate don't do this to me and it, it ended up that it was him and uh And he said, "You you, turn up tomorrow, and you'll be playing against Brazil." And I went, "I don't think so." I said, "Because number one, you you know, you never picked me in the first place, and number two, uh, you know, it's Sunday night. Somebody's turned up this morning, and they're not fit, and you you want me to be a replacement." But I did show him the greatest respect by telling him that uh, I had the greatest respect for him. But uh, no, no, it's uh, I weren't going to be a standing plus the fact I was not stupid enough to know that I wasn't playing well enough to play against Brazil had it been in 1975 when I played against the Germans I might have had a different frame of mind and said yeah I'll be there you know but uh, I wasn't I wasn't happy you know but fair play to him you know the saddest thing for was uh, some years later I went to West Ham when I was going over to see Harry Redknapp and uh I walked in one day, and Ron was standing there, and I went to explain to him the situation, and uh, uh, he wasn't very well. Yeah. He he was he had dementia or something or something along them lines, and it was quite sad. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to have told him the reason why, you know, uh, but that was that. And but these things happen, don't they? You know, the, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're the kind of things that happen that couldn't happen today. No. You know. It no. couldn't couldn't happen today, you know?
2: But, but, but again, it's incredible because what, what you would see then in the paper is Alan Hudson turned down England and you didn't. It's like what what people and what fans see that's written in the press, generally speaking, isn't what's happened in reality. And I suppose we're getting a little bit of that now with Gareth Bale. It's clear that Real Madrid won't Gareth Bale out. So they're trying to blacken his name. They're trying everything to get rid of him. And people pick it up and actually believe the rubbish that's written. It's, it's, it's incredible
1: well it's a it, it's a different age it's um yeah. I think what I think what happens today is they got a, a different completely obviously completely different mentality because in 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 our day if somebody started you know doing what the things we've just been talking about we were actually struggling you know to pay our mortgage yeah now we're talking uh the Oh, I wrote something today about the Chinese are offering him a million pound a week.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, come on. it's uh, That's like the whole of, uh, say, the first division of all these great players that you and I have been talking about. Yeah. It's like 10 years of their week's wages, a hundred million pound a week. So, you know, how do we know what goes through Gareth? bow's head i don't know i've I met him once and i didn't really particularly like him mm. i think was he was um I'll, I'll email you something later on what happened but um I, I didn't particularly like him i think he was so caught up in all the hype and all that well we never got caught up in the hype mm. I, I never caught up in the hype it didn't didn't bother me or the only thing that bothered me when i was a record signing in for I mean, quarter of a million pound, not talking about a week or oh, a million pound a week, quarter of a million pound transfer fee. The only thing that bothered me was, you know, trying to justify that for, for the man that bought me. Yeah. And uh, that, was, that was what I did. But, and uh, thankfully...
2: But isn't it mad, and, and, and again, in, in that, that glorious decade, I always say it was the Alcyon days of the golden decade of football, which was the 70s. But in February of, of that year, 1979, uh, Trevor left Birmingham to go and uh, play for Nottingham Forest. I've got to say, I think if Terry Curran would have stayed fit at Nottingham Forest um, and, and didn't leave and go to Derby, I don't think... Cluffy would have ever signed Trevor Francis because he loved Terry, but he just had a really, really bad injury like he did uh, when he went to play at Everton in the 80s. But you look at that, in 79, it was the first million pound player. Today or, or, or tomorrow or, or when it may be, Gareth Bale might be the first one million pound a week player. I think football has actually Eaten
1: itself through pure greed. Well, yeah, I mean, I I remember, you know, as a kid, um, when Bill Nicholson refused to pay 100 grand for Jimmy Grease, and he paid £99,999 from AC Milan, and he refused to pay 100 grand. Now, if that had been Jose Marino, uh, he would have make sure that it was over 100 grand because it would have been a bigger fee and everything else. That's the way the game has changed, you know. Yeah. Nicholson didn't want to be known for the first person to do that. Now, he, if that does happen, but, you know, as I wrote earlier on, you know, do you want to earn a million pound a week in China or do you want to get decent wage playing in a great league with great players where you were brought up, you know? I mean, I'd have thought that, you know, I know he was at Southampton with Harry. I was with Harry the other week, and he said he had him there and everything else. He went to Tottenham. He started to do well at Tottenham. He's a a tremendous, undoubted talent, unbelievable. But when you start wanting to go to China for that kind of money, then you've got something wrong, because you can have more money than memories. Yeah. Uh, Now, that don't work. For me, that don't work. How much money do these people want? Mm -hmm uh what's, i don't know I don't know what you can actually I, if I went to China and I played in China tomorrow, if I was at, at my peak when I was playing at Stoke 24 and I went to China for a million pound a week, if I came off the field in China, I don't think I could enjoy myself as much as I did when I was playing Well at Stoke, yes. uh, because it just doesn't seem real. it's you're playing football for all the wrong reasons. Uh, it's like watching a film of Michael Douglas in Wall Street. You know, uh, you know, where, where's this going to end? Yeah. Um, a million pound a week. I remember when it it first came up that uh, someone signed the Barcelona. Or was it Neymar saying for a quarter million pound a week? Now it's a million pound a week. Where's where's it going to end? And what does it actually mean? And what I could walk. I've met. As I said, I met him once. Right, but if I met him again and he was earning that kind of money, uh, you know, I wouldn't really want to talk to him because I think it's just fake. It really is fake. It's not real. It's just not the real world, is it? There's people yeah. out of the uh, If I was going a million pound a week and, and signing child, my first two weeks or months wages, I would give to something to make the world a better place. Uh, but I wouldn't give it to some charity to... To, to Nick, I would I would help someone with a couple of for my first months four million four million pound. People yeah. don't win that in a lottery. I oh, know it's
2: absolutely incredible, but uh, yeah, that, it's, it's scary. It's, it's a, scary. It's scary. It's obscene. It's incredible, and um, it's absolutely, utterly, and totally ridiculous. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's just uh, it's like watching a sci-fi movie, and it you know yeah, <laughs> yeah it, is. Uh, it don't make sense.
2: No, it doesn't, but uh, as I say you might as well go and play in the Sunday League for somebody rather than China I mean, the only thing the Chinese are, uh, are, are known for in sport is table tennis, they're decent at that they've got no history in football I, I understand what they're trying to do I'm guessing they're trying to get the World Cup and they're probably looking at players like Bale and like these, these top players to go over there, like what the Americans did with Beckham and what the Americans did many many years ago with Pelé, I, I Kinda of get that, but I can't. I can't respect any player that goes and sells out to uh, to the Chinese and plays in a Mickey Mouse league over there. I think it's absolutely ridiculous when you can still cut it in the Premier League. But there you go. No, no it's
1: just uh, it's. It... I can only can imagine sitting around having a few drinks with three or four people, intelligent people, and discussing it. And you yeah. don't come to any of that. you you would never come to any conclusion. It's just it's just out uh, of you know. I, I as I say, if I if I I love Bobby Moore and I love George Best, so they were two of the greatest players and people I ever met, and they never they have never earned anything yeah. like they should have earned. Uh, but if I bumped in as Gareth Bauer I'd say well who do you who the hell do you think you are earning a million pound a week do you actually believe you're worth that yeah and he's not nobody nobody you know what we uh, what we're worth I don't really know but I do know one thing a million pound a week uh I, if I went to watch him play, I'd want him to do something to justify a million pound a week, and I don't think he could do that. No, I don't. And uh,
2: talking about Sunday football that I just did, you're off to not a Sunday football club, but a Saturday in uh, in in October on the fourth of October. You're off Kentway,
1: aren't you? To uh, do... I am. I am. <laughs> Back to Kent. I was uh, I was with Kelly Maloney last week on yep. his radio show, and he's, he's uh, you know it was great to see him, and he's he's going to give me a plug. Don't ask me the name of the place where I'm going because it slipped my mind. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm down in Kent. It's um uh, it's a great course, and I look I look forward to going down that far. The world. Well, then I'm going to see Gillenham play the following day. And I would imagine if I, they'd let me go in the dress room I'd ask all them players what would like if they would like to earn a million pound a week. <laughs> it's <Gillingham>. Yeah. <laughs> it's laughable, isn't yeah, it? It? Is. it really is laughable, it it isn't
2: You could probably buy half a Kent for a million pounds or certainly buy Gillingham, couldn't you? Uh,
1: no, you buy you'll buy for a million pounds a week you'll buy Kent. Yeah. Uh not not a problem. It's uh, it just it's just it's too ridiculous for words, and i don't I don't find I don't find it even funny. I just think yeah. it's I just think it's disgusting. And uh you know, when there's I don't know, you don't. It's just too ridiculous for words. Yeah, you is. know, you don't you don't know what racket to put in.
2: And people can follow you out on your usual uh, on your official Twitter and Facebook at Alan Hudson underscore ten. Blimey, there's a bit of a stutter there. Underscore 10. And on your official Facebook page, which is Alan Hudson. And you can look at your daily blogs because you're forever writing. You've always got books. There's loads of things going on in the background. And I want to get you and Terry Curran on, uh, on on a world tour as well. Taylor two Mavericks. I think we'll have a great laugh with that. Some of the stories that you pair of boys have got are absolutely Well, Mavericks, we can ask
1: Harry about a uh... Put the uh, week's wages up, and me and Terry and go round. Me, you, and Terry go round the world. We'll take um, John Elliot and. Lewis with us We go around the world For, you know, for a week's wages no, <laughs> Well Chris oh, has I've just said Chris Can I come as well Of course he can Someone's got to do the sound
2: <laughs> <laughs> On that note We're going to go out with uh, I'm not in love 10cc Again another favourite of yours Al And another yeah. song from your romantic And genius side So thanks very much mate Till <laughs> next time Those were the days my friend
1: Cheers fam, all the best. Cheers out. Good luck mate. Ciao, I'm okay. Bye mate. Bye bye.
7: Just a silly phase I'm going through, and just because I call you up, don't get me wrong.